packet. Been talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, been talking about how that uh, sometimes life gets a little confusing. We don't understand what's going on. Things are happening in our lives and, and you just don't know, you know. But God has a way of working things out. I don't know if you've noticed, I'm driving a different vehicle. <clears throat> Did the night driving in, it had just gotten dark and uh, I was driving in in the, uh, I guess it might have been a coyote, ran out in front of my car. Well, I swear to try to miss the coyote. I bumped him a little bit, <clears throat> but it didn't kill him. Uh, but I got out and I looked and it tore up the bumper and I thought, well, my goodness. And so I, I turned back around to find out where he was at and I didn't see him. And uh, all of a sudden the lights and bells and whistles on the car came on and said, turn it off, turn it off. So I turned it off, took it into the insurance. <clears throat> I took it, uh, called the insurance, had the car towed, and uh, they took it into a shop. And so they said, it's going to cost this much money to repair. I go, okay. And then about three days later, they called and they said, it's going to cost this much to repair. I said, okay. And they, they called back and they said, you know, that engine's not doing too well because it lost oil, turned up, tore the oil up. At any rate, we're going to be getting a new car, <laughs> another car here. Soon. I'm saying all that to say this, is that as I was looking at it and looking at the car and I'm realizing, okay, it's got this many miles on it and, you know, I'm getting older and you, you get older, you try to figure out, uh, I want to try to find a vehicle that maybe I can drive that will outlast me, has a better warranty than me type of thing. And so you're thinking along those lines, how do I make all that work? How do I make all that work? And it's as, as if God said, here, I'll work it out for you. <laughs> so we're in the process. And I, and, I, and I say that because it's easy to, when a circumstance or a situation like that happens, oh, great, you know, oh, great, another thing I need to worry about. God's got it under control. So we need to relax and you kind of go through life. So this morning I want to talk about, <clears throat> we'll be in chapter 2. I'm going to just read the first verse, but we'll be in all of chapter 2. I guess I better get over there myself. Uh, but <clears throat> talk about the choices we make, the choices we make. And, and, and while we're talking about that, keep in mind, how is my faith? How is my faith? Again, do I go, oh, great, and we become frustrated and we're upset, or we go, God's got this, God's got this. Habakkuk 2.1 said, this is where Habakkuk said, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, and we'll watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. You know, every time we come into a church service, we should be thinking about this. This should kind of be in our mind, our mindset. I'm going to stand up on my watch. I'm going to set me on the tower. I'm going to watch and see what he's going to say to me. You know, God is so smart that he can speak to each of us individually this morning. And not only in our church here, but in churches all across America, across the world. And he'll speak to you, and he'll commune with you. And then you should say, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Sometimes as children growing up, we'd do something, we'd be in error, we'd be going the wrong way, and our parents would do what? They'd sit us down. I need to straighten you out. That's what they're saying. I need to correct you. Now, how are you going to respond? And at the end of this message this morning, 
how will you respond to his reproof? Let's pray. God, I'd ask that today that your Holy Spirit would speak through me. Uh, Lord, I am so insignificant, but you're everything. And God, we need you this morning. We have the truth of your words either in our laps or on our phones this morning. We have possession of that. You preserve that, and we thank you for that. Because, dear God, where would we be without them? We'd be hopeless. But, God, you've provided it for us. And we pray that today that we would listen closely and we would allow your spirit to bring conviction into our heart and life where it needs to be. God, receive our worship and praise this morning. Know this, God. We love you. We love you. And, Father, we're so thankful for you. Have your will away, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've heard it said many times that our choices matter. They really do. The choice you make, the decision you make in a five-second period of time can change the course of your life forever. We know this is true because life is shaped by the choices we make. So choices are very important and extremely crucial. It's been said that the choices we make will ultimately make us, and choices we make do matter. And the Bible speaks of making choices. I'd ask you, what decisions have you made recently? Have they been good decisions? Have they been good decisions? I mean, just over the past week, I'm, I'm, we're looking at vehicles and trying to say, okay, Lord, what's in our budget? What can we afford to get? Is this the right vehicle? You know, sometimes you go out there and you look and you see all the shiny stuff and you go, Whoa, it costs that much? I can't afford that. I can't do that. So we need to be wise. We need to make a good decision. Have your decisions been good? Let's look at some Bible choices and some what the Bible has to say about it. Near the end of his life, Moses challenged the people this way. I'll read the scripture to you, and you can write it down as a reference to check it out later if you'd like. Moses said to the people, he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. That's Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Choose life. I tell you what, the choices we make as we go through this life lead to death and to destruction. But in Christ Jesus, there's life. Choose life. As Joshua was nearing death, he reminded the people of Israel of what God had done for them. That's what we need to do. We need to sit down with families, and as we open God's word, we remind uh, what our families, what God's word has done for us. But we also keep that little notebook where in our own family's life, he has done miraculous things, and we remind ourselves of what he has done. But as Joshua was nearing death, he reminded the people. He said this, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Again, that's great for us. He says, Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, finish it with me, we will serve the Lord. That's Joshua 24, 15. Years later, Elijah stood on top of Mount Carmel, remember? And he addressed the people of Israel this way. He said, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long 
halchi between two opinions. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Folks, sometimes we come into church and we say we're God's people, we love the Lord, but we go out and we don't follow God. Who are you going to serve this morning? Make your mind. He says, and the people answered him, not a word. That was 1 Kings 18.21. And the book of Psalms says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Psalms, the first chapter, verse 6. Solomon said this, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And finally, we have this warning. That was Proverbs 14, 12. Warning from the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth into life, unto life. And few there be that find it. Matthew chapter 7. Verses 13 and 14. See, every person is on a journey that leads to life or leads to death. Jesus called it the way. The one way is wide and easy, and the other way is narrow and hard. Many take the easy way, and only a few take the hard way. And Jesus is saying to all of us today to make sure that you're on the right road. Make sure they're on the right road. You don't want to end up at a place you never wanted to be. I mean, that'd be like us taking a trip and uh, <clears throat> we're going to go someplace that we've never been and we got the map. Uh, we got the map. They, they used to have the old, the Thomas Guides. Remember the Thomas Guides? And uh, I can remember years ago that uh, we belonged to AAA and as a child growing up and, and uh, you would send off and they would map out your trip. Anybody ever do that? They would map out your trip. And we loved to open those books and We'd follow along where we were supposed to be going. That'd be like having a map that shows us where to go and then not take the map with us, you know? This brings us back to the topic of choices. Our choices really do matter. We make our choices, and our choices turn around and make us. They really do. What choice will you make when hard times come and everything seems to be going against you? What choice will you make? When trouble comes, you'll find out very quickly what you really believe. Do I really believe this book? You'll find out. This is what's happening to Habakkuk. He's finding out what he really believes, this prophet of God. And now God is bringing him face to face with the choice that he must make. Again, we all have choices to make. Three instructions, <clears throat> chapter 1. Is recorded well in the book of Habakkuk. It's recording a conversation between this prophet and between God. In chapter one, they're speaking to each other. In chapter two, God's speaking to Habakkuk. And in chapter three, Habakkuk responds back to God. And we're going to pick up the story here in chapter two. Habakkuk is a man waiting for an answer. And God gives him three instructions. Look at verse two. It says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Write the vision. Now look at this book right here. It's been written. And we should run 
that read it. God wants to make his way clear, his will clear. What he's given to the prophet Habakkuk is not only for the prophet, but it's a message for the whole nation of Judah. So write. Secondly, wait. Verse 3, it says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end of it it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. God may seem that he's slow. You may be thinking, I've got to have an answer now. It's due now. I've got to have it now. But he ne he's never late. He never delays. You might say he's an on-time God. He's an on-time God. God is saying to Habakkuk, he said, not today, not tomorrow, but the answer's on its way. You've got a question? The answer's on its way. The answer's on its way. So he's saying, hold on, wait for it. He even says what? It will surely come. It will surely come. Saying the Babylonians are going to be judged and in the end they're going to be destroyed. God will balance the scales of justice. But he's not working on your timetable. He's not working on my timetable. But he does not delay. It's interesting. I, I got things in my mind and uh, things that Alice and I have talked about it and you talk of timetables and you think, well, I need to look to do this. I need to look. It's like God is, on several occasions has set things in motion before I was ready to set them in motion. It's interesting. So you need to write. You need to wait. And he said, remember, verses 4 and 5 says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the, lift, but the just shall live by his faith. That's a great phrase. But the just shall live by his faith. Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine. He is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlarged his desires hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathers unto him all nations, and heap unto him all people. The he refers to Babylon. Historically, Babylon was, is a phrase, greedy as the grave. The grave will not be denied. By the way, taxes will not be denied. Amen? You know, they talk about paying your fair share. I'm going to get a little political here. I don't mind paying my fair share. Well, maybe a little bit. As long as you use the money wisely. You know, you're just going to throw it away. But at any rate, Babylon was as greedy as the grave. They were going to have their way. The grave will not be denied, and neither would Babylon. The empire spread itself in all directions, conquering cities, conquering towns, provinces, nations. Nothing satisfied Babylon's hunger for conquest. There was always another nation to subdue, to capture, to overrun, another army to defeat. In the midst of all this terror and this rampage, what should the people of God do? The answer comes at the end of verse 4 where it said, but the just shall live by his faith. How is your faith this morning? When you're faced with that troublesome decision, when you're faced with something that you realize you cannot defeat, something you in your, of yourself cannot overcome, how's your faith? 
What do you do when they're killing you? Judah, the just shall live by his faith. What do you do when the enemy destroys your home? The just shall live by his faith. What do you do when your loved ones are taken into captivity? The just shall live by his faith. This little phrase tucked away here in verse 4 was quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 and again in Galatians chapter 3 as proof that Jesus had been predicted in the Old Testament. Martin Luther, you know that name, said of this phrase, when, the, when by the Spirit of God I understood these words, the just shall live by his faith. Then he, he said, then I felt born again like a new man. I entered through the doors into the very paradise of God. How much of this did Habakkuk understand, though? I mean, we have the privilege when we read God's word and we read these stories, we get to see the end of the story. So much of the time as they're going through the story, they're at the beginning of it. Maybe just getting to the middle of it, but they don't know the end of it. How much of this did Habakkuk understand? He understood this. The part about living by faith while waiting for Babylon to be judged. The rest of it was hidden. How is your faith? How is your faith? It's easy again to see the end of the story and say, oh, I have faith. But as we're going through our daily walk and those things come into our lives and you cannot see the end of it, how is your faith? So there's five woes here. God describes how that one day he's going to cut down Babylon and they'll be utterly destroyed. And he gives us that message in six, five verses, 6, 9, 12, 15, and 19. And we want to take these together and they, they, form a, they, they, they serve as a formal indictment against Babylon. First thing, first woe, verse 6. Woe to him that increases which is not his. I'll read it all. It says, shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his? How long? And to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. That perfectly described the Babylonians. They took, when they took a city, they took everything. You had gold, they took your gold. They took, you had silver, you took silver. They took your crops, they took your cattle, they carried off anything and everything of value. And they were growing rich through the misery of others. I think of what's going over in Russia and Ukraine right now and that evil that's happening over there. <clears throat> but God said, as judgment day coming, Babylon is going to be defeated. And in verse 7, and thou shalt be for booties unto them, Habakkuk, because thou hast spoiled many nations, I'm sorry, Habakkuk 2.7, because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee. They got away with it, Babylonians, for a time, because no one dared to go against them. But guess what? God saw it all. And in time, those scales of justice will become balanced. So we see because of their woe, because of their extortion. Woe because of their arrogance. Verse 9. Verse 9 says, Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. 
this referring is talking about the walls of Babylon. They're saying, you know, that they used to wall the cities to protect themselves, to keep themselves from uh, other countries and other peoples coming in and attacking them. He said that the walls of the city in some places were 100 feet high. 100 feet high. Wow. And it said it went for like 40 miles around the city. Now, from my house to the north part of Acres was about 40 miles. And as I was looking at this and thinking about this, I thought, man, 40 miles. That's a long way. That's a long way. The Babylonians thought themselves that nobody can defeat us. Nobody can attack us. Verse 11 says, For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Many years later, Belshazzar, Belshazzar, the last king of Babylon, made a great feast. Remember? You find that in, in uh, Daniel chapter 5. And uh, this great feast turned into a real drunken time and just a, a, a very sinful time, but it was interrupted by the handwriting on the wall. Handwriting on the wall. What happened? Babylon had been weighed in the scales of justice and were found lacking. And the kingdom would be taken from Babylon and divided between the Medes and the Persians. And that night the king died. Mighty Babylon was no more. Woe because of their extortion. Woe because of their arrogance. Woe because of the blood they shed. Verse 12. Verse 12. And I may just read portions of this. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. God hates those people that build an empire on bloodshed. Obviously, this is a, was, uh, applies to nations that have military strength. But stop and think with me. What does God think about America and the shed blood of all those unborn babies? God is not pleased. God is not pleased with that. And then in the midst of these words, judgment comes with a glimpse of glory. Look at verse 14. It says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Verse 14. Is, it's as if God says, well, okay, wait, wait, wait. He pulls back the curtain and he says, look, look. He gives us a glimpse of the world as it will be after Jesus comes back. There's going to be a time when the earth is going to be filled with no bloodshed, with no pornography, with no immorality, no injustice, with no greed. God intends to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And it's very significant that he mentions the earth. When he says that, he means it quite literally. He's talking about the earthly heaven. God intends to bring his son back to this earth. He's going to bring him back to the same earth that rejected him, the world that rejected him the first time. And one day the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we're not there yet, though, are we? See, this is interesting. We have the ability to see into the future. This is something that a lot of these uh, people and these prophets did not have the opportunity to do. But there will be a day, one day, where the injustice is gone. No violence, no terror, no threats. You know, I heard of a little year-and-a-half-old boy being killed the other day. and I'm thinking, oh, my. There's a better day coming. There's a better day coming. 
it's hard to believe this today because we live in a world that's so filled with violence. We see cruelty. We see killing all around us, and we long for a better day. So woe because of their extortion. Woe because of their arrogance. Woe because of the blood they shed. Woe because of their immorality. Look at verse 15. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink that putteth thy bottle to him and makes him drunken also that thou mayest look upon their nakedness. You know what? God's speaking very plainly here. He is not mixing words. This is God's condemnation of those who use alcohol as a tool of seduction for immoral purposes. We all know that alcohol changes behavior. A person under the influence of alcohol will say and do things that they would not normally say or do. Say, how much does it take to make you just a sip? Just a sip. And be not drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. They'll say or do things you would not normally do. What would Las Vegas be without alcohol? What would uh, uh, the parties in college be without alcohol? God promises judgment on those who use alcohol as a tool to lead others into immorality. It causes you the things that you would not normally do, but are, are if, you, if you looked even in your soberness and you could find these evil things down in the corners of your heart, but when you start to put something in you that changes you, then it just comes up. You may justify it with your own mind, but God's not going to be fooled. When you entice another person to drink so that they will lower their standards, you're going to have to answer for that. Now we see God's response. In verse, I'm going to just pick up two phrases here. In verse 16, it says, Thou art filled with shame for glory. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee. Babylon used alcohol for illicit purposes. And that's one reason that God brought them down. If you think alcohol is not dangerous, think on these verses. So woe because of their extortion. Woe because of their arrogance. Woe because of the blood they shed. Woe because of their immorality. And folks, woe because of their idolatry. Idolatry. Verse 19 says, Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake! To the dumb stone, Arise! It shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver. There's not one breath of all in the midst of it. Verse 19. What's he talking about? This speaks to the stupidity of idolatry. They would worship these stones and uh, these monuments they'd made out of wood. And he's saying, he's saying, you say to the wood, wake up, wake up. Or the dumb stone, it's going to teach who in their right mind would believe that praying to a lifeless stone could make any difference? You can pray to the stones all you want. You can bow down before a wooden altar. You can work your, yourself into a frenzy. But it'll do you no good. Your prayers will go unanswered. Your idols will not have any life in them. Stone cannot hear. The wood can't speak. By the way, you say, well, I don't have any of those things. Oh, 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 we are so deceived this morning. 
Our churches are filled with Christians that have, are full of idolatry in our lives. What do you say? I'm saying, who do you serve? Do you get up in the morning thinking, I fear Almighty God. I fear him enough that I am going to set my paths on his paths. I am going to seek to do his will and his way. Or your idols get in front of him and you say, I will serve those idols. I will walk in this manner. Stop and consider right now what God in your life rules over the almighty God, Yahweh. God's indictment of the Babylonians ends this way. Verse 20. It says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. A lot of churches use this verse and they'll call everybody to worship. and They'll say, That's, come on, let's worship. But this is really more like a call to judgment. Where it says, keep silence, it really means something like this. Hush. Be quiet. God's looking at the nation and he's saying, be quiet now. I'm about to judge the earth. And it's a fitting word to the Lord. He's saying to Habakkuk, he says, you get it now? I will judge Babylon in my own time and in my own way. That particular situation, problem in your life, just understand. God will do it in his own time and in his own way. Sometimes as children, you thought, well, I would like to do it this way. And the parents would say, no, this is the way it's going to happen. He's saying their downfall is certain, so just quiet down. I've got it covered. I have given you my answer. 605 B.C., Babylon looked invincible. Nobody could destroy them. I think back, I think it was 1972, uh, Los Angeles Lakers. They won like 33 games in a row. It seemed like nobody could defeat them, but they lost. They lost the game, didn't they? They lost. Babylon seemed to be invincible. But less than a century later, the Babylonian Empire had disappeared. It disappeared. Waiting for answers is difficult. I admit that. It's easy to become despaired and worried. It's easy to doubt what God's doing. And God right now to Habakkuk and to us is saying, will you wait for me? The world panics and says, don't just stand there. What do they say? Do something. What's God say? God says, don't just do something. Stand there. It's different. Babylon looked good in Habakkuk 2, but the end is coming. Everyone that aligns himself with this world today, tomorrow, at the end of time, will find themselves out of step with God. And that's the point of Habakkuk chapter 2. Uh, you can side with Babylon, maybe win in the short run, but ultimately you lose. Ultimately you lose. Or you can take sides with God and win. Whose team are you on? Are you on team Babylon? Or are you on team Jesus? Right now, team Babylon seems to be winning, don't you? You look around the world and the earth and America. The Team Babylon controls media. 
Team Babylon controls the entertainment world. Team Babylon controls the thought of all of our universities and our colleges, a lot of our political halls. Team Babylon holds sway over our culture. And as children of God, we have to live in this, this filth. I gotta tell you, the game isn't over till it's over. <clears throat> it's not my favorite team. Well, they're way down the list, but this is story, Judd, about the Dodgers. The game isn't over until it's over. In September 18, 2006, the Dodgers were playing the San Diego Padres, and they were playing at Chavez Ravine, their Dodger Stadium. Score was 9-5 to five in the ninth inning. The Dodgers came up. They're trailing. First one up was Jeff Kent. He had a home run. Second one up was J.D. Drew. He hit a home run. Third one up was uh, Russell Martin. He hit a home run. The fourth one up was Marlon Anderson. He hit a home run. And they tied the game with San Diego. Well, then as it happens, they go into extra innings. The next inning, the Padres come up and they scored a run in the 10th inning. And now the Dodgers are behind again. In the bottom of the 10th, with a man on, Nomar Darsapara came up and hit a two-run homer, a walk-off home run, and the Dodgers won the game 11-10. You know what's interesting? They hit those five home runs in less than really two innings, and they were last in the National League as far as hitting home runs. But that day, they tied a record they tied three other teams, and for you trivia fans, the 1964 Twins, the 1963 Indians, and the 61 Brewers had all hit four consecutive home runs. Sometimes it seems that everything is going wrong in our life, and we're losing by four runs, and it's in the bottom of the ninth, and we go, I can't win. I can't win. The game's not over. The game is not over. It's not politically correct, but they used to say it's not over until the fat lady sings. The game is not over. That applies to a fat man as well. The only score that matters is the final score. And I've got to tell you that, mor that this morning that that score has already been predetermined by God. Amen. Praise God for that. Confer consider the verse to this song. This is my father's world. This is my father's world, oh let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be won. If you think this world will last forever, child of God, side it with Team Babylon but you'll have a front row seat when it all comes crashing down. Live for God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you for being so attentive this morning. Just simply want to ask you, I want you to consider, what are the choices I'm making? What are the choices I'm making? How will they impact me today, the rest of the day? How will they affect my life tomorrow, next week?
the choices you make, the sins that you decide to be involved in, and you know that there's sin. How do you know there's sin? They take me away from God. They don't draw me any closer to him. How will they affect you? I'm going to tell you something. Your sin, it's been said, will take you farther than you want to go. Take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, make you pay a price higher than you would ever want to pay. You think that you can get away with it. I can dabble in this. I can do this. I can do that. One day it'll all come crashing down. It'll all come crashing down. The person that says, oh, I can have a couple of drinks and then get in their car and hit somebody and kill them. Oh, if they could just get it back. If they could just get it back. You know, that's just a very obvious illustration. But there are so many different ways in our lives as we make decisions that will come back and just simply destroy us. Father, I ask that today uh, you would have first place in each heart represented here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Stand together, please, with heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. Hey, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this? Habakkuk said at the start of this chapter, he says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me. What has God said unto you this morning? And then he said, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. How are you going to respond? Now's your time. The altar's open. Amen. Some have come. Is God waiting on you?